And all of God's people said, praise the Lord. Thank you, Paul and team. Perhaps more than any time in my lifetime, I'm hearing more and more the statement that victim's mentality. I, I, I have not heard it as often as I hear it just in the last few years, victim's mentality. So many individuals and so many groups are claimed to be victimized. The problem of or with trivializing victimhood is that real victim, true victims, get lost in the shuffle. And make no mistake about it, there are some true victims. In life, there are true victims, and they must never be overlooked. For when we have this insatiable desire for victimhood, and when it becomes a trend, we lose our compass. Please don't misunderstand me today. I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm going to deal with some very core issue, and I'm talking about the core of the biblical Christian faith. Shifting blames, pointing the fingers, passing the buck, shrugging off the responsibility is as old as the Garden of Eden. It happened there, and it's happening ever since. And it will always exist, but somehow, at some periods of time like ours, it increases in the degree. Even you see it among children in an early age. Of course, your kids are angels, not like mine. You come in the room and say, who did this? Fingers start flying everywhere. (laughs) And it's very hard to identify the culprit. It was T.S. Eliot who once said that humankind cannot bear very much reality. (laughs) And even the so-called reality shows, they're all staged, not real. Now, talking about children starting at an early age, shifting the blame, unless, of course, they are growing up in homes of families and apostles here, and I know some of you young moms and dads, let me tell you, I stand in awe of the great job you're doing with your children. I really do. God knows my heart about this. I really do. Thank you. But I was thinking about this, and I, I thought of the story about a young boy by the name of Jerome. Jerome was a hyperactive nine-year-old, forever getting himself into trouble, (laughs) and always denying responsibility. One night while he was asleep in the room downstairs, and his mom was asleep in the room upstairs, all of a sudden his mom heard this incredible thunderous crash. Apparently what had happened, a panel truck veered off the road and crashed into the house, and in fact, came to a dead stop right at the dining room. And so, the terrified mom, the first thought was her beloved son, if his safety, and, and she yelled out to the Jerome. And the next thing Jerome yells from downstairs says, I didn't do it, mommy. <laughs> huh. Today we're going to see the true blessing that is often hidden in owning up 
of one's responsibility. We're going to see the absolute blessing that is hidden uh, in true confession, the absolute blessings that are hidden in facing reality and acknowledging of one's failure. Why? Because when we confess, we come in agreement with God. God already knows what's going on. God already knows when we sin. God already knows when we failed. But when we come in confession to Him, we're saying, God, we agree with you. And God is honored that way. When we confess that God, that to, to heaven, and heaven already knows what, 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 is, what is true, heaven is honored. When we repent of sin, there is untold blessings from comes, that comes out of that repentance. Can I get an amen? In 2 Samuel 12, I hope you turn to it with me, please. Page 487 in the Pew Bible. First, excuse me, 2 Samuel 12. I am dyslexic. I'm not kidding. I, threw a show. I, get, I, get, I get my numbers muddled. Um, 2 Samuel 12. Page 487. Now, if they did not write this, I would have read 847 or whatever. And I'm glad they write it for me. Here you find David, a man whose heart after God, accepting full responsibility for his sin. Now, let me speculate just for a moment. I'm always careful when I tell you if it's in the Scripture or it's not. I'm going to speculate just for a moment, so bear with me. Knowing human nature the way I do and the fallen nature, because I have one, (laughs) probably, and I'll keep repeating, probably, between the time that David had committed the sin with Bathsheba and then arranging for the killing of Uriah, which we saw in the last message, Probably between that time and the time that Nathan the prophet came and confronted him with that sin, probably David said, well, this is just a royal prerogative. I am a king. Right? Well, this has nothing to do with my spiritual life. Uh, I just need to put this out of my mind and move on. I don't know if this is true or not, but I'm telling you, this is not the issue. I'm raising it because it's not the issue. The issue, the most important issue, is that when David was confronted with his sin, when he was confronted with that that travesty, how did he react? You see, that is the heart of the matter. I don't want you to miss it. How did he react? Don't get sidetracked, because this is important. Here's the great news. David did not pass the buck. David did not say, as some people do today, well, you know, it was Bathsheba's fault. And, you know, she's the one who walked around naked, and, and it's her fault. Or it was Uriah's fault, because after all, if he handled the sword properly, he wouldn't be killed by the enemies. Or I just can't help it, because my father was a passionate man, and his father before him was a passionate man, and I just happened to be a passionate man. Or, you know, my mother just weaned me too early. Or, 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 or I just... 
I, I, I was potty trained too soon. Uh, oh, my wife doesn't love me. Uh, my mother dropped me on my head when I was a boy. <laughs> or oh, here's the regular one. This is a popular one that I hear it very often. I'm out of love with my wife. You talk about going in and out of love like you're going in and out of the shower. They don't understand that love is a commitment. Now, my beloved friends, my beloved friends, please listen. David said nothing of the sort. He did not say any of this. No wonder the Bible said that his heart was turned toward God. It didn't say that he was perfect. It didn't say that he was sinless. Only Jesus was sinless. Listen to me. When your heart is turned toward God, you immediately face up to your responsibilities. You accept the consequences with courage. You will not go around looking for some scapegoats. You will not point your finger elsewhere. You're not going to pass the blame. David immediately confessed to the Lord and repented of his sin. Now, my beloved, listen to me. This is the first step to true and genuine experiencing of forgiveness. Not that God has not forgiven. He has forgiven you. But it's a genuine experience of that forgiveness and the washing and the cleansing and the restoration. Jesus talks about two people who went to pray in the temple. One was a religious man. Man, he was religious. He was self-righteous. He thought he's doing everything right. He broke his elbow patting himself on the back. I thank thee, Lord. You're not thanking the Lord. <laughs> I thank thee, Lord. I'm better than all these people. That I'm really good. And then there was a man of the world who knew that he was a man of the world. And he comes and smacks his shoulder, his chest, and he says, forgive me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, the man who confessed is the man who was blessed and went home justified. In the last message we saw, the prophet Nathan comes in and tells David a parable, and then he applies the parable about the man who only had one ewe lamb and, and the other rich man who had so many, but then he took the ewe lamb because he had a wandering uh, visitor, which is his eyes, or wandering, lustful eyes. And when David is spiritually sobered up, the prophet Nathan gently probably with a tear or two, said to him, David, you are that man. When I was a boy and I would hear preachers preach from this, Nathan said, you're the man, you're the man. No, 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 no. It wasn't like that at all. I remember the early days of this church when I didn't have the wonderful team that God has given me in the pastoral team. The late Roy Ludwig and I used to do a lot of the counseling, a lot of, a lot of the discipline in the church. And, and I remember confronting a man of, of, of a grave sin, and, and the whole week I literally prayed and wept and confessed and, and done a lot of cleansing before we even came to confront this man. It's not as easy as you might think. 
David did not only accept responsibility. David did not only own up to his sin. David did not only acknowledge his failure. But David also confessed and repented. And, listen carefully, he accepted the consequences. Beloved, this is an issue over which a whole lot of Christian believers are confused. I've talked to enough people to know there is so much confusion on this particular issue. I'm talking about the differentiation between God's absolute unqualified forgiveness of our sins when we repent and the scars that sometimes these sins leave behind. Some of them lasts for a long time and maybe even for a lifetime. Always make that distinction because not making that distinction, it gets you into trouble. There are some people who look at the scars that are natural consequences of sin and think because of these scars, God has not forgiven them. What? Listen to me. Read my lips. That is a lie from Satan. Can I get an Amen. If you look at the consequences of David's sin, if you look at the tragic scars that that sin left behind, someone might ask or say, what kind of forgiveness is this? Why didn't God take care of the scars? I'm going to come to that in a moment to put a marker in your brain or on your notes because I'm coming to it. So when you see the first consequence of that sin is that the baby born out of wedlock, been sin resulted from adultery, he dies. Now, not all suffering is a result of sin. Did you get that? Say amen. amen. Not all suffering is a result of sin. Some is, but not all of them. We throw the story of Job. The reason the Bible has it there is to remind us that sometimes the righteous suffer for righteousness' sake. Don't muddle those two. But people say, wait a minute. What is the baby's fault here? Oh, no. The baby has no fault. The baby did not suffer. The baby went to heaven like all babies do. It's the parents who suffered. Baby did not suffer. The parents, seeing the consequences. Later we find later we find that one of David's sons, Amnon, rapes his half-sister, Tamar, and then the other half-brother, Absalom, revenges his sister and kills Amnon, and later on still, Absalom rebels against his father, the king, and he conducts a coup d'etat. Painful consequences. Painful consequences. One after the other. Here's a fact. Listen carefully. David had been a great general. David had been a great king. David had been a wonderful songwriter like nothing before or since. But as we saw in the last message, David failed to exercise spiritual leadership and servant leadership and headship, spiritual headship in the home. Now, let me tell you something. If you may have come to the Lord late in life, 
Don't ever live under that guilt because God will overrule. Allow me to speculate one more time. I won't do it very often, as you know, but occasionally I kind of like to speculate outside of the Scripture, and I'm warning you, so you don't come to me and say, where is it in the Bible? It's not there. <laughs> it's some conjecture that uh, is something I know because of my fallen nature and it's what John MacArthur called the fleshly nature, uh, and because I've talked to so many people, but particularly let me talk to those who are in my generation, all right? Now, everybody else eavesdrop. Let me speak to those in my generation, because it's a trap, and David possibly, he may have, I don't know, but he may have fallen in that trap of thinking that I don't want my kids to suffer like I did. I don't want my kids to go without like I did. I don't want my kids to work as hard as I did. I don't want my kids uh, to, uh, I want my kids to have all the things that I did not have growing up. And on and on and on, my beloved friends, listen to me as your fellow sinner. When we hand our children and grandchildren everything on a platter, we are not helping them, we are hurting them. Because it is only through hard work, perseverance, and diligence that they will learn the proper values of life. Focus with me, please, for a moment. Just focus with me. If mom and dad say to little Billy, he said, Billy, don't play with matches. Don't touch the stove. Billy, don't do that. This is dangerous. This is harmful. And then Billy, knowing human nature again, he does. And then he gets burned. Imagine him on the ride in the ambulance going to the emergency room. And little Billy is hurting and saying, Mom, Dad, I'm sorry. I should have listened to you. Forgive me. Of course they're going to forgive him. Am I right? Of course. Absolutely. And yet the pain still there, and the scars could be there for a long time. Recently, R.T. Kendall preached about forgiveness and good stuff, and if you weren't here, download it from apostles.org, and, and, and you'll be blessed. And, and yet here's the problem. Some people confuse God's forgiveness with the quality of God's love for them after they repent. Listen carefully. They confuse the two. I need to explain this because so many people do it. Some do it in the privacy of their mind. Thank God, some tell me. <laughs> so, I need, so I can explain to them. Listen carefully. When God forgives you, He forgives you fully. He forgives you completely. He forgives you without reservation. Can I get an amen? Amen. Your sins and His forgiveness never affect the quality of His love for you. It never affects it. I know because we human being, uh, after we forgive somebody, uh, you must, you know, you've got to be coming down from heaven if you did not kind of at least let some residual stuff happen that affects the quality of your love for that person. And you forgive them, but there's the quality. So we take that and reflect it on God and think that God's quality of His love for us has been affected. It has not. 
not with God. By the same token, forgiveness does not stop the consequences or or erase the consequences at times. Why? Because God's forgiveness does not alter the fact that sin and transgression is a transgression of righteousness. Forgiveness that I am talking about is the daily forgiveness. I'm not talking about salvation. That has been taken care of the moment you come to Jesus. It's not going to affect your salvation. When Jesus taught the disciples in the disciples' prayer, our Father who art in heaven, and then he goes and says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. He's not talking about salvation. He's talking about the daily life. In the same way, when Peter reacted to Jesus washing the feet, and he said, and he said you can't wash my feet. And then Jesus said, well, if I don't wash your feet, uh, you have no part of me. Peter again, the same reaction. Peter is a great comfort to me because I put my foot in my mouth a lot like him. And he said, well, not just my feet. If that's the case, just wash all of me. You know what Jesus said? He said, no, 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 Peter. Those who have been washed already only need their feet to be washed. Beloved, you and I are walking in this world, and our feet get dirty. And they need to be washed. That is the daily forgiveness that Jesus is talking about in the disciples' prayer. That's the daily forgiveness we're talking about here. Forgiveness does not alter the fact that sin and righteousness are opposed to each other. I know, I know this is not very popular today. I know it is not a popular message, especially today, as so many people see God as a Santa Claus who just sits there and laughs and smiles and ho, ho, ho. Beloved, listen, in a day when so many people have lowered down the bar of righteousness, they have lowered it all the way down to the point that they teach that God only winks at sin. Not that he forgives it. He just winks at it. But God forgives sin at an enormous cost to him. He watched his son bleed on that cross. Don't blare righteousness or lower the bar of righteousness so low that the righteousness and sin get blared. I've seen it with those two eyes because when that happens, we get into trouble. And the next stage is <laughs> we just don't know anymore what sin is. We don't really know what righteousness is. Well, what was sin back then might not be sin today. And it goes on and on and on. I'll never forget a conversation with a prominent clergyman in this city 30 years ago. Since then, he's gone. But, but in the course of the conversation, and I'm talking about the love of God and the forgiveness of God. And he said, Michael, what you don't understand is that God has grown up since the days of the Bible. That he's growing up with us. This is more common than you realize, particularly in the mainland church denominations. And I'm not picking on people. I'm just picking on, on truth so you understand, so you discern when you hear it. Blurring the line between sin and righteousness is not so with God because sin cost God plenty and therefore 
We can never blur the line between righteousness and sin. We cross over from sin to righteousness. Of course, that's, that, 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 is, that is the joy of, of the believers. Don't miss what I'm going to tell you. Please, this is important because when you blur the line between sin and righteousness, it means that Jesus bled and died for our sin in vain. It means that he left the splendor of heaven and came in a, as an embryo in a virgin's womb in vain. It means that Jesus' holiness means nothing. But in reality, on that cross, Jesus made a bridge possible whereby you and I can cross from sin to righteousness. Can I get an amen? amen. And for the rest of our earthly life, we are constantly aware of the difference. And when we step out on the wrong side, we come back repenting. We step in the wrong side, we come back. We know the difference. There is a line. And that is why His forgiveness is most effective only, only, only when we repent and recognize the wrong, confess the wrong done, and come to Him to the right side. Let me explain it this way. When God pardoned us, He does not condone what we have done. While God redeems us, He does not accept our shift of blame. He made me do it. She made me do it. The devil made me do it. While God does not hold the sin against us, that's what it means when it says God not only forgives, but He forgets. doesn't mean He has an amnesia. No, no, no. It means that He doesn't hold it against you. While He does not hold our sin against us, He does not look at it in a light-hearted manner. Oh, that's all right. No, 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 no. Here probably... Some parents, and I know probably very few parents in this church, I know that, would do this. Listen carefully. Some parents tend to forgive their children so easily and so quickly. Uh, some parents tend to forgive uh, and then kind of with a lighthearted manner said, it's all right. No, 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 my beloved, it's not. We tend to forgive them without proper explanation of the wrong that has been done. We tend to quickly absolve them of blame, thinking that somehow we are helping them not to grow up or to grow up guilt-free. No. Listen, I spent better part, better part of 40-plus years warning against false guilt. That's my life. I've been preaching against false guilt. And that's not what I'm talking about. There's some people going around with false guilt. That is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the conviction of the Holy Spirit when we sin. And that leads us to repentance, which gives us peace. And that is why we as parents and grandparents, we need to take time to help our children understand why the wrong is wrong, and why we are forgiving them. We need to explain truthfully and, 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 and in order to, and very carefully uh, while we fully forgive them. Uh, appropriate discipline sometimes are needed. We must invest the time to show them why restitution or some sort of discipline is at the very heart 
of loving them. Are you with me? It's at the very, some people to them, discipline means a dirty word. It really is not. It means training them. It doesn't mean beating them up. No, it means training them in the right way. That's what the word discipline means in the Scripture. God trains us. He loves us. That's why He disciplines us. He trains us. Discipline without explanation. Listen carefully. Discipline without explanation is as bad as winking at sin. I want to repeat that. Discipline without explanation is as bad as winking at sin. Learn to take responsibility for your action. It's the first step. Beloved, I am convinced that this is the first step for peace. Peace in your heart, peace in the family, peace in society, peace at your workplace. It's the first step. I am even amazed at times at those who have uh, been creative in the way they make excuses. They're so creative, they even put it in a poem, very poetic. There are a number of them around. Let me read one of them for you. College professor, such rawness in a student is a shame. Poor high school preparation is to blame. High school principal, it is plain to see the boy is perfect fool. The fault lies strictly with the grammar school. The grammar school teacher. I would that from such dolts I might be spared. They send them up to me so unprepared. The kindergarten teacher. Never such lack of training did I see. What sort of a person could that mother be? That doesn't stop there. Here's the mother. You stupid child, what? But, 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 but then you are not to blame. Your father's folks, I know, they're all the same. <laughs> I was writing a new book. I'm writing in a book. I said, I'm the only one who laughs at my own jokes. <laughs> but I can see the sense of humor. I understand that. <laughs> in 2 Samuel 12, we see God individually forgives repentant David. And he makes it clear, and he communicates it so well through the prophet Nathan. And then immediately, look at chapter 13. David then recognizes the consequences of his sins. Listen carefully. Here it is. The confession is on verses 13 and 14 of chapter 12. Then then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away sin. You're not going to die. Now, let me stop here before I finish the sentence of Nathan. Throughout the week as I'm reading this, I said, thank you, God, that I live in the New Testament where Jesus did all the dying for me on that cross. And Nathan continued, but because by doing this, you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt the son born to you will die. Again, the baby did not suffer. The parents did. Please hear me right. Hear me right. Hear me right. Don't ever confuse God's forgiveness 
with the scars. I know I'm repeating myself, and I want to repeat it until you get it. Do not confuse God's forgiveness with the scars that sin may have created. And don't ever forget that God's forgiveness does not mean that He stopped hating sin. Because He forgives sin doesn't mean that He stopped hating sin or or seeing sin as an abhorrent. Don't ever think because God is a forgiving God that we can take that forgiveness for granted or excuse ourselves and think we're entitled to His forgiveness. As I said sometimes, the scars of disobedience will remain for a long time. Please, 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 please let those scars not only remind you of that act of disobedience, let them above all remind you of the grace of Jesus and the forgiveness and the loving heart of Jesus. I remember telling you two messages ago. Remember when I was talking about Mephibosheth and the grace that David showed toward the descendant of Saul? I said, if you are not constantly being overwhelmed by the grace of God, there's something wrong. I know I tend to overdo it, but that's okay. I don't want you to cry like I do. I just want you to be overwhelmed. (laughs) In David's case, the sword worked both ways. It worked against Uriah, but it also worked against David's household. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 2. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That is why I am quick to forgive. Because I want to be forgiven. The Apostle Paul said, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously shall reap generously. This has to do with giving money, but it also has to do with everything in life. Everything in life. When you forgive generously, you'll be forgiven generously. Every area of life. In fact, I can tell you that the harvest is always answerable to the seed, and the reward is always answerable to the work. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, if you sow cotton, what do you get? Yeah, come on. Have I put you to sleep? (laughs) If you sow cotton, you get what? If you sow corn, you get what? You do not sow cotton, and then you reap wheat, right? That's what I mean by the seed is answerable to the harvest. The size of your crop is also dependent on the quantity of your sowing. Listen to me. I want to repeat this. God's salvation is a free gift. You can do nothing. You can actually work hard for 20,000 lifetimes, and you could not earn it. It is a gift of God to you. It's a gift of grace. But the reward is dependent on the level of faithfulness. Can I get an amen? Well, some of you believe it. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, 8, Each will be rewarded according to his own labor. Now, beloved, listen to me. 
God is not going to reward the person who sat and warmed the pew Sunday after Sunday, and that's all they've done. The same reward as the person who worked hard, gave generously, sacrificed day and night, and worked for Jesus. God is not an unjust God. I want to tell you this as I conclude, and then prepare our hearts to coming to his table. When we first come to Christ, convicted by him, receiving the gift of grace, receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, that's always an image that I keep in mind. That moment, we were like a poor, homeless, stinking person who was picked up off the streets by the king. And the king takes you to the palace. The king takes you home. The king bathes you. The king washes you. The king cleanses you. The king grooms you. The king dresses you in royal robe. The king adopts you, and he gives you his last name. And then he calls you a prince or princess. Then the king teaches us from his word how to live like a prince or a princess, how to behave like a prince or princess, how to live up to the palace standards. And out of gratitude, we do everything we can not to embarrass our king, not to bring shame to the name of our adopted king. But in every way we seek to please that generous king. We seek to honor the king. We seek to obey the king. We seek to focus on living like royalties. Now we seek to focus of doing good to the other subjects of the king. May God grant us wisdom in these hard and difficult days to know who we are and whose we are. To know not to blur sin with righteousness, but to know how to cross by confession and repentance from sin to righteousness. To know that when we fall and fail, we most surely, assuredly will as long as we live in this flesh, to know how to confess, repent, and gratefully receive forgiveness. Will you pray with me? Lord, I'm confessing to you right now that this is a hard word on to some people today. But please allow your Holy Spirit, our best friend, who dwells in us, to take those words, even if they may have scratched us, and we don't like to be scratched, because in responding to that scratch, you will heal us. Father, 
For every child of yours who's at the sound of my voice, I pray healing in the name of Jesus, forgiveness that comes as a result of confession. Beloved, would you take a moment? If the Holy Spirit pointed something to you that maybe even aggravated you, say, Lord, do surgery in my life. Remove the sin and temptation. Cleanse me. I confess and I repent. Father, help me, help us not to take that grace that is given to us as a result of confession and repentance for granted, but to constantly be overwhelmed in gratitude and in thanksgiving that we revel in that grace that we have joy in that grace. We thank you that your servant said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And David said, renew the joy of my salvation. May this be ours today as we walk down these aisles, surrender these sins as we dip the bread into the wine, receiving your forgiveness, your healing. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you stand up, please, and sing with us?